I'm Dick Moberg, and for more than 40 years, I've been developing technology to advance our understanding of the injured brain. I've had a chance to work with some of the leading minds in the field of neuromonitoring, including physicians, researchers, and entrepreneurs. I want to share their stories with you in the form of a weekly podcast so you can stay current on the latest developments in the field and the innovative people behind them. This is my neural network. Hi, I'm Dick Moberg. I'm here at the Military Health Systems Research Symposium in Orlando, Florida. And uh, my guest today is Stefan Bibian, who's uh, the founder of NeuroWave. Uh, welcome, Stefan. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Sure. So, um, let, me, uh, let me get a little bit of your background, uh, where sure. you came from and all that. Sure. Uh, so my name is Stefan Bibian. I have been working at New Wave for the now about uh, 15 years. Uh, we founded the company or co-founded the company uh, back in 2003. And New Wave specializes in uh, brain function monitoring. Uh, and more recently, we are specializing in, uh, in uh, uh, anesthesia and total intravenous anesthesia guided by a brain monitor. So really leveraging the brain function monitoring, uh, trying to simplify the task of the anesthesiologist and opti- optimizing outcome based on that. Oh, that's great. And I remember the early days of this. I was involved in a you know, product called the NeuroTrack and back in the early 80s, and some of the anesthesiologists started uh, looking at the EEG, and they were able to predict the, uh, when a patient was going to uh, wake, wake up. So uh, things have progressed a, a lot uh, from those days. Uh, this has always been the holy grail of trying to come up with a closed-loop anesthesia. And there's always been problems with uh, connecting somebody's device to a, a pump, somebody else's pump. But you've solved that problem. And uh, why don't you speak a little bit about how you've, uh, you've succeeded where no one else has. Sure. Well, time. Time is the key. Uh, spending a lot of time on that. Uh, so I, I came in the field back in 2000. Uh, and, and really, I'm an engineer by trade. And uh, I, I wanted to do a PhD in something a little bit more exciting than just uh, engineering, also engineering uh, uh, topics. Uh, my supervisor said, how about we, uh, we work in uh, closing the loop in Anastasia? I said, this is great. This is a fantastic idea. And the first thing that we, we tackled at the time was the sensor. I mean, uh, as a control engineer, you know that uh, your controller is going to be uh, dependent on the sensor. A bad sensor is going to give you a bad control. So we decided to look at the sensors that existed at the time. And at the time, there was a new technology out there that was the Beast Monitor. The Beast Monitor was introduced in '96, but it really became more popular in 2000. Uh, with the BIS uh, uh, A2000. And uh, looking at the BIS monitor, we realized that the technology had some uh, drawback as far as control engineering was concerned. It has significant time delays, and time delay is something that, as a control engineer, you're trying to avoid. So we, we developed our own algorithm. We developed our own technology based on wavelet analysis in order to resolve the time delay problem. In addition, the BIS at the time was unilateral. We were looking at only one side of the brain and I always told my colleagues if you want to do closed loop you need to have redundancy in your system you need to do bilateral uh, monitoring and make sure that the two sides of the brain give you the same story so that's essentially pushed us in developing our own EEG technology our own EEG algorithm so we started with the algorithm using an off-the-shelf EEG machine and then we realized well this can be a great monitor as well you know it's it's a sensor for closed loop but that can be a great monitor so that pushed us to create our own company and develop the, the product that is the Neosense today, which is a, a brain monitor for the, the anesthesia specialty. Now moving forward, obviously our focus has always been closed loop, 
And uh, back in 2011, we, we started to work really hard on leveraging the new sense monitor and the sensor and adding that closed-loop aspect of things. Initially, we were using off-the-shelf pumps, and we quickly realized that that would not be a commercial viable solution and that the only way to really bring a product out there was to combine both the brain monitor and the infusion technology uh, just because we needed to be able to control the pumps and we needed to be able to own the pump technology uh, for the product. Uh, so we developed our own pump system and we vertically integrated the whole system, the, the, the Neosense sensor, the pump technology and the controller. Um, back in 2018, we introduced the, uh, the Autotiva, which is our closed-loop uh, anesthesia device at the STA. Uh, this is still not FDA approved. This is still not commercialized. We're moving forward to it, but the product exists, has been tested. Um, we did some uh, clinical studies as well uh, in Canada, in children and adults, that show the clinical feasibility and the technical feasibility of the concept. Uh, so I think that um, the, the future is bright. Things move slowly, but it, they, are, they are moving forward eventually. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm very impressed with the progress you've made. Um, why don't we uh, step over here in the, to the uh, product you, you're showing here, and um, uh, I'll describe that briefly. It's it's a um, it looks like a litter that you put a uh, patient on, and um, uh, you have some pumps here, and you have a display. Why don't you uh, Why don't you explain that? So back in 2014, the uh, the Navy, the U.S. Navy, uh, reached out to us, and they said, "Well." We are creating that automated critical care system. The automated critical care system is a way of projecting critical care in a far-forward environment and for end-world care. Um, and the automated critical care system was designed to be used in an unmanned vehicle. So the idea of the Navy was you get a drone and you put the patient uh, with the litter in the drone and you press the home button and the physician shipboard or state, stateside would monitor the vital sign of the, of the, of the patient and communicate with the equipment on the litter in order to be able to provide care for that patient. But one of the problems of that concept is what happens if you lose communication? If you lose communication, then you have to you operate in closed loop. Your ventilator has to operate in closed loop. Your drug delivery has to operate in closed loop. You have to provide sedation in closed loop. You have to provide fluid in closed loop. So the Navy reached out to us and said, we, we know that you guys are doing closed loop anesthesia. We'd like you to do closed loop sedation for NROD care. So we developed that uh, multi-channel platform that just clip under the, uh, uh, the NATO liter, uh, can do four different types of drugs or fluids, and has a closed-loop sedation uh, system attached to it, uh, connected to our brain monitor. We have a very small brain monitor. It's, it's really not much bigger than a, than a pack of, uh, of Tringham, essentially. And that brain monitor just monitored the, uh, the, the, the patient and the closed-loop controller automatically regulate the flow of, uh, of drug to maintain sedation to the patient. Now, what is very interesting is that closed-loop operation is not the de facto mode of operation. This is a full safe system in case of loss of communication. The manual mode is still the preferred mode, which is very different than the autotiva, which is a clinical device, where the manual mode is the full safe mode and the closed-loop mode is the default mode. So it's a little bit different. Um, but back in uh, 2014, when we uh, started to work for the Navy, I told the Navy immediately, well, the big problem that you have is the, the pump. You don't have a pump. So in, uh, instead of really focusing on closed-up sedation, how about we just develop a pump for you first? So from a, uh, a new diagnostic company, we became an infusion pump company as well uh, because we didn't have a choice. We had, to, uh, we had to develop the technology. I told myself, what is more pedestrian than an infusion pump? Should be easy enough, easy peasy. But 
uh, at the end of the day, it was a little bit more challenging, uh, just because of all the patient safety features you have to build in in the pump. And, and the, uh, the, the, the pumps that were out at that time, and the current pumps, uh, many of them don't even send out the data that you need for, for closed loops. Some of the newer ones, I think, do, but that's been one of the big problems, I think. Yeah, some of the newer pumps are interoperable in the sense that you can connect to them, and they are going to send you the data. And sometimes they can be pretty slow at sending you data, but, but still, you can get the data in but you cannot control them, and that's the problem. And, and that makes sense from a risk analysis point of view. The manufacturer of the pump, they don't want the pump to be controlled by an outside uh, remote system because really a, a big risk mitigation for infusion pump is that if you want to change your infusion rate, you have to go to the pump on the interface of the pump and physically dial in the new infusion rate. And if you're next to the pump, then you're next to your patient. And if you're next to the patient, you can see whether it's the right patient and the dose that you're providing is actually the right dose. If you, are, if you have a remote access on the pump, nothing prevents the, uh, an operator to be maybe a room away or miles away, not even looking at the patient, and maybe making a mistake and dialing the wrong dose to the wrong patient. So from a risk hazard point of view, it makes a lot of sense that pump manufacturer would prevent the use of the pump in a remote setting, that they cannot be controlled. Uh, but obviously that doesn't work for us. I mean, we needed a pump that can be controlled. So that's the reason why we developed that module. Yeah, and it, it, uh, I think it took a, one company doing both, the brain monitoring and the pump, to uh, really make this, make this succeed. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's, your, that's your innovation. <laughs> that's, that's the combination product is the, uh, yeah, is the innovation. Uh, now, obviously, from a regulatory point of view, you have to look at the product as a combination of a brain monitor, an infusion pump, and a controller. So that's, that creates a challenge for the FDA reviewer to kind of combine all those different technologies and all the risk associated with those technologies and trying to def define a path forward for this technology. So we talked a little bit earlier about uh, possible uses of this in a, in a critical care unit. Maybe you could explain a little bit about that, the pros and cons of that. I, th I think keeping a constant sedation is certainly a goal for nurses in critical care. Uh, how might this be used and uh, uh, what are the, uh, what's the downside? Yeah, so basically the, the military is now focusing on going away from the golden hour uh, paradigm. Uh, it's an operating paradigm where you have about an hour to bring a casualty to a, uh, a first level of care. Uh, so during that hour, you don't really need to do much. You, you can put pretty much your finger on where it bleeds and stop the bleeding, and it's okay. You, you know, the patient is going to survive. The problem is that as we are shifting to an operational paradigm where the, uh, the, the combat casualty may be really... Uh, very far away from the first care um, uh, facility, uh, we are looking at uh, care, tactical NROT care that is going to extend way beyond one hour. So at this point, you need to, prevent, you, you need to uh, get the casualty stable before transport and keep the patient stable during transport. And that transport can take up to six hours. Now, picture yourself that. If you are in a drone, in a totally unmanned vehicle, and you are injured, and you have to stay there for six hours, you definitely want to be sedated. You, you, you want your anxiety level to be lower. So sedation becomes an important part of actually the care that you have to provide to this patient. And the closed-loop system with the brain monitor allow the, 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 the user, the, the care provider, to make sure that this patient is going to stay sedated during transport. So that's, that's really the paradigm. The, the, the operating paradigm is changing uh, around the way we are going to manage casualty of wars. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Um, I noticed you also have a uh, fluid pump here. And now how would you control that um, 
with a brain monitor. Obviously, you don't. But <laughs> yeah, we don't. Essentially, we don't. So essentially, when, when we developed the pump, we realized that the pump is great for us because we want to do closed-loop anesthesia or closed-loop sedation. But the pump is actually something that other groups are going to be very interested in. People working on fluid resuscitation, burn wound management, uh, treatment of sepsis, chem, chem bio injury treatment. Um, all these people that are developing new protocol, goal-directed therapy, closed-loop system, um, decision support mechanism, they will need a pump at one point. Once they want to go from the lab to the field, they will need to have an infusion capability at one point. So we developed the infusion module not only for drugs, but as well for fluids. So our infusion module can do a 20 milliliter an hour, but it can do as well a 4,000 milliliter an hour, which is great for fluid resuscitation. So we wanted to have this extended range for our infusion uh, platform so that we can offer the DOD and its partners an infusion, a commodity module that they can use for their own application. And where actually the bidirectional communication, the fact that the pump can receive command from an external uh, host is going to be critical. Oh, that's great. Uh, last questions, where do you see this going in the future? What's, gonna, what's happening in the next year or two? With you? Well, in the next year or two, we're going to work with the FDA to try to get the, the pump approved as a just a standard uh, infusion pump. Because obviously when they look at the Autotiva platform as this combination product between a brain monitor, a pump, and a controller, it becomes very complicated very quickly. So in order to alleviate that complexity, we first are going to target the, uh, um, uh, the, the element that can give them a pause in getting the regulatory uh, file reviewed. Infusion pump is definitely something that the FDA is very uh, worried about. I mean, that, that's a very high-risk device, and they want to make sure that we do a proper job about it. Uh, so we are going to work and focus on getting that cleared as a 510K, as just an infusion device, so to take away some of those uh, maybe reluctance or concern that the FDA may have uh, on an Autotiva platform or an Autoset platform, for example. Well, that's great. And... Uh you know, it's, it's been wonderful for me to watch your progress over the last um, probably 15 years or so. And, uh, yeah, I've seen you at a lot of trade shows, and uh, we've become good friends. And um, I wish you a lot of luck in your well, uh, future with this show. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. thanks for talking to us. No problem. Thanks. So thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoy these interviews, please take a moment to rate and review this show on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Dick Moberg's Neural Network to receive notifications when future installments are available. And of course, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Moberg Research, Inc. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again soon.